Good morning. Wonderful to be standing here. Wonderful to be bringing the Word of God this morning. Just uh, quick greetings from Craig and Colette. Everything is going well. Um, they've had a very good time in Europe at the Euro Equip and, 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 and. Uh, they will be back this week, but they send their greetings, they send their love, and they said that they can't wait to be back to see faces again and to share uh, stories of their travels, their trips, and their ministries, and what they've been exposed to in Europe. Uh, a Europe that looks a little bit different to the Europe that they went to previously because of obviously war-ravaged um, areas and uh, refugees coming into certain places. So they've had some experiences over there, just seeing God's hand looking after the church and looking after the people of this world, not just the people of this church, the people of this world. So very interesting stories. Stay, stay tuned for that. But first we will have um, Alan and Daylene here next week. And so they'll be here on Saturday afternoon. Everyone is welcome to Saturday afternoon. And then Sunday he will be ministering as well. And there will be a, a deacon's and uh, elder's time taking place on the Friday night. So look forward to that. Very excited. Um, very, very excited about what God is doing and how he's encouraging us. We spent a lot of time without apostolic team input. And now we're getting an abundance of it so that we can be encouraged, that we can be built up, and that we can influence people for the kingdom. So Psalm 24, verses 1 to 10, you'll see that I won't put up the full, full um, Psalm 24 there, but uh, verses 1 to 6 says this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountains of the Lord? That's better. Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false God. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And then verse 7 to 10 says this, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is who we worship. This is who we praise. This is who we come to hear about today. I'm very fortunate that I'm going to be concluding our four-week uh, series on the King and the Kingdom. But I was thinking that such a topic never really comes to an end. When we stand here, when we preach, we should always be preaching the King and His Kingdom. We should always be preaching that what God is doing in our midst and that what God would like us to know. I've just been very encouraged and reminded over the last couple of weeks of a lot of things that are pretty basic in our Christian faith, if I can put it that way. Basic elements of what, what it is, what, why are we here, what do we do this all for? And I don't know about you, and as I go through this list of what I've been reminded of, maybe you can just nod your head, put up your hand, give a big amen 
think, yeah, that's one of the bigger challenges I've taken out of this week. So these are the reminders I've had out of this series that we've been doing. A reminder that the earth and everything is it, in it is the Lord's. A reminder that He has established His kingdom until eternity. A reminder that other kingdoms have come and have gone. That other kingdoms will come and will go, but His kingdom will remain. A reminder that Jesus is King. He wasn't born a king in a way that a king would be born. He, wasn't, he didn't live in a palace. He didn't live as a king. He didn't die as a king. But he was resurrected and is now a king. But even in that, I'm reminded that a lot of people recognized him as king. And I'll speak a little bit more about this in the end of, of what I'm speaking on today. A reminder that there is only space for one on the throne. The challenge to me is, who is on my throne? challenge out of this series is who have I placed on the, the throne a direct challenge to me is have I placed God on the throne or have I placed golf on the throne <laughs> big big challenge and a reminder that there is room in the kingdom for everyone but there is only room for one king Andre and um, Wesley and Craig have done a great introduction over the last three weeks and I'll get to do the conclusion. We'll, we'll, we'll read John 6, 26 to 28 just now. But it's just a reminder that we as Christians, what makes our belief, our faith a little bit different is that we don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. That our salvation was something that was purchased for us by a king. We've been invited into the kingdom by a king we don't have to do anything the only thing that we have to do and we'll see it again in John, John 6 a little bit later is that all we need to do is believe in him all we need to do is believe him who sent Jesus to this earth all we need to do and I say all we need to do because believing is an action word believing is a doing word it's a challenge to ourselves to push, push into to this king, this God, this salvation that he has for us. So today I want to just explore a little bit about this king again. And then I want to explore a little bit about us. Us, you and me, in this kingdom. What does it look like? What, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do? And I suppose you're now thinking if Richard was to go through everything we are supposed to do to be part of this kingdom, we could be here for the next uh, couple of weeks. It could be another series. But I just want to give you some of the things that I've identified just out of the interactions between Jesus and the crowd and the crowd's interactions with Jesus while, we, while he was on this earth. So I'm going to look at two things. I'm going to look at the fact that we have a king who is able to empathize with our weakness and that we are called to be part of the kingdom so let's look at the first two of two scriptures that we're going to read today it's hebrews 14 verse 14 to 6 and it says this therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven jesus the son of god let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one 
who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then the second, second verse is this, Philippians 2, 5 to 9. And it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the first element of what I want to look at today is our king empathizes with our weakness. And it's a big statement. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I've been contemplating using this example. But I broke my finger when I was a long younger, a lot younger, um, in many places. And I complained and bitterly upset about this finger and that I couldn't cut my ribs when I was at a restaurant and you'll see now and now you're all going to look at me when I do this but when I drink tea I'm very English in the way I drink tea when I write I'm very posh in the way I write because my finger just didn't set in the right way but I was sitting at a restaurant one night trying to cut my my ribs that my parents are trying to encourage me to be happy again um, and I was trying to cut my ribs and it just wasn't happening. And I was getting upset with, my, with myself. I was getting upset with the situation and everything like that. And someone walked in who didn't have an arm, whose arm had been amputated. And right there I realized that my problems were a little bit smaller than someone else's. And I make my problems bigger than they are. But God was mentioning something to me. He was saying, I know you. I see you. I understand your circumstances and situations. I've been through things like saying. I don't know if you've all been in part of those conversations where my injury was worse than your injury. I had a twisted ankle. Then the next one says, I had a twisted ankle plus a ligament. Then the next one says, I had a twisted ankle plus this, plus that, plus that. I had a twisted ankle. And then the, the, the story gets bigger and bigger. To empathize with someone who's had that biggest injury is quite difficult for someone who's had the smallest injury to do. So if I sit there and the person is sitting in a big cast and I say, I sprained my ankle once. Just doesn't have that same effect, does it? I, I don't quite understand what that person going through with the, the, the big injury has, has got. We try and it's, it's good that we try. But we don't have that full comprehension of um, I use an example of having to utilize our roller chair to do the cooking uh, and all that type of thing rather than just being able to utilize a crutch to keep the weight off the ankle. But our Jesus, our God, says that he is able to empathize. And I always used to say, stop it there, to empathize with us. It doesn't say that. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses so he understands our weaknesses he understands our inabilities he understands the way that we respond to things he understands this why does he understand this because he walked this earth 
He became a man and he walked and he experienced all these things that we experience. His response may have been different as we see that he was without sin. But he experienced those things that create weakness in our lives. He experienced those things that create that element of not being 100% aligned. So what did he experience? And I'm going to go through this list really quickly because this is not the real focus of where, what I'm talking about tonight. But he, he, he experienced these things. He experienced temptation. I don't need to explain that. I think we've, we are aware of this. He experienced conflict. When the Pharisees came to him and asked him questions, they weren't simple basic questions. They were questions that cut to the root of belief systems and they were questions. And so he experienced conflict. He experienced bad health wherever he went. If you hear the crowds followed him so that the people could be healed. Death, we know about Lazarus. He experienced loneliness, the loneliness on the cross. Rejection, being betrayed by one of his close circle. Suffering. The next one's a little bit of an interesting one, and I put it up there and it came to my mind. He experienced fellowship. I'm sure we all know the good of fellowship, but there's also that temptation of the bad of fellowship of being in fellowship with the wrong people and making the wrong decisions based on who we fellowship with. He experienced that. He was with tax collectors. He was with um, the worst of the worst. He was with the best of the best. So he understood fellowship. He experienced expectations. Wherever he went, there was people. Wherever they went, he went, there was people looking for teachings, looking for healings, looking for deliverance. There was an expectation of wherever he went, and we live with that expectation. And in the same breath, he experienced busyness. And so he was constantly busy, constantly on the go, constantly being harassed. So he has experienced, and I've just got a short list. I'm sure if you had to put your feeling your what you've been exposed to over the last couple of months you probably find somewhere that he was exposed to the same thing in some sort of a way so as he walked this earth his experience grew his understanding and his empathy with us grew and now he sits on the throne and he looks down and he says richard i understand and i empathize with your weakness but i am here to make you strong I am on the throne and you are part of my kingdom. He identifies with us. He knows who we are and what we go through. What an amazing thing. If we look at modern day kings, their, their engagement goes probably to a certain level of engagement, but never beyond the circles, never understanding what the people in high poverty are experiencing, never really being able to identify with those people our king says it doesn't matter who you are i am able to empathize with your weakness i am there for you i understand who you are the next point that i want to to look at is this element of being part of the kingdom we had a great conversation the other night at life group and it just seems like this king in the kingdom has sparked a conversation within the life groups and within the people of just reminding us of of who he is and what it is that we are part of and we spoke about culture 
about developing a kingdom culture versus a culture of the world and how we're constantly distracted and drawn into the way that the world would do it or the way that my parents did it or the way that this church does it or the way that we should be doing it we're constantly hounded and yeah i was sitting there just thinking about the circumstances and the situations that we've been facing over the last couple of weeks and months and saying but this is so counter culture to the what the kingdom is all about we're going through things where um where forgiveness is not being expressed to people, where people are being held captive for a mistake that they made. And I was just thinking that this is so counter kingdom culture. It says here in Mark 7 verses 5 to 9, and this, this scripture blew my mind, as most scriptures do when I'm preparing for a preach. It says here in Mark 7 verses 5 to 9, and again, I've just put a couple of, of the, the verses up there. I haven't put the whole thing there. It says... So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus. So the Pharisees had seen the the disciples eating with unclean hands. They hadn't cleansed their hands like the law said that they should. It said, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't you, your disciples, live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, how's this for a response? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are merely human rules human culture they were teaching human culture you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions and he continued you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So what is the kingdom culture? Living according to what God has called us to do. Living according to what God is doing. Living according to the example. Andre did a great job the other day of just highlighting God our example. Again, the questions keep coming up. So what does that culture look like? It looks like forgiveness. It looks like love. It looks like inclusion. It looks like embracing our weaknesses so that God can work through it. That's all the things we see. In these couple of scriptures that we've read already, called to, being called to follow him looks like this. It looks like holding firmly to our faith, approaching God's throne with confidence, and having the same mindset as Christ when it comes to our relationships. As we read through the Bible, it doesn't matter where we read, we see elements of what the Christian culture, what the kingdom culture is all about. Sorry, I must be careful. Not Christian culture, kingdom culture. And in John 6, verse 28 to 29, I said I'd mention this, this verse a little bit as well. It says the following things. It says, uh, the, this is now the crowd, not, not his disciples, the crowd that had followed him, were asking him. It says, oh, they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? I love, it. I love this answer. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Christian culture, kingdom culture, kingdom culture looks like Jesus. Looks like what he did and how he lived. But then I got thinking a little bit about this, about the life of Jesus and the example that Andre preached about, about this kingdom that we are part of. And I said, but Jesus didn't just exist in a little bubble going around and 
touching what this person, then that person, that person. There were crowds that followed him. We, we hear about the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 people all in one, one place. And interesting, from the, 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 the word the other day, it was 5,000 men because they referred to the men. I found that, 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 that quite interesting. Um, so it was more. But he had these crowds following him wherever he went. And I'm, I'm amazed by my God. I really am. He, he, he just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that through the way that he interacted with the crowd, through the way that he interacted with individuals, and through the way that those individuals and the crowd interacted with him, he was trying to point us to kingdom culture. And so I've got, I'm going to challenge you this week. Um, it's always good to do a preach and then kind of leave it there. Um, but I, I'm going to challenge you this week. I've uh, intentionally only picked out seven. So if you're with me, there's seven days in a week. The amount of, the, the, the decent amount of scripture that I've given you there can be a bit of a devotion for the week on top of what you're doing. Just to do your own study and to come back to me next week and say, Richard, I didn't see this. Or what were you talking about when you talked about kingdom culture in this verse? I think it's good for us as a church to be seeing and looking at the same thing. Kingdom culture is about, the, I see kingdom culture as the interaction between ourselves and Jesus. Our interaction between ourselves and God. And taking what he said and implementing it in our lives. So what are these seven things? What are these seven things that I believe allow us to be part of the kingdom? I'm not saying if you don't do these things and you don't adhere, that's not what I'm saying. Remember what I said up front. The only thing that we need to do to be part of this kingdom is to believe the one who sent us. These are things that add value to our walk with him. So the first thing is to follow him to distant places. The reference there is John 6, 1 to 44. Quite interestingly enough, you see at that feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus goes away, he gets onto a boat, and he goes across the river or the, the, the sea. And the next morning that crowd wakes up and they say, where is this guy? And what do they do? They don't just say, okay, well, that was a passing phase. They follow him. They try and find him. They go off to find him. And there's another, another scripture that says, and there were people there from town and town, meaning that he wasn't just visiting that town. People were coming from town and town and town and town to see this man, to interact and engage with this man. Sometimes we're in our own town and we're quite, uh, and we operate in our town. And he's saying, follow me to another distance. Craig and Colette have followed them at a physical distance. But maybe the distance is the mindset change. Maybe the distance is a shifting seat, shifting view, shifting concept, shifting idea, shifting the way that I'm engaging with people around me. Maybe that's the distance that you need to travel with him. The second one is praised him as a victorious king. Mark 11, 1 to 11, we all know the story of Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem where they were singing, Hosanna, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. If I can paraphrase. Hosanna, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. They're acknowledging him as King of King and Lord of Lords. Shall we let us into worship? Is worship being a, 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 a weapon? Worship is a weapon, but worship is also a way to acknowledge that we are part of this kingdom, to acknowledge him as king, and to say to him, 
that we yeah, we acknowledge you as king. The third thing is tell others about what he has done. We see this in Luke eight, twenty six to thirty nine, where Jesus says to interestingly, so we always think the element is follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, where whatever Jesus did was follow me. He actually says to this guy, Don't follow me. Go and tell people what I have done. And so sometimes we have to go and tell what he has done. Sometimes the power of our testimony is what is required in a circumstance, in a situation, and shows that we are part of this kingdom. The next one is went out or sent out in his name out of obedience. When he sends out the 72, they come back with stories. They come back with accounts. And he gives them a warning saying, that's great, but remember who you did this for, why you did this. It was for me and my kingdom, God. The next three points will come up on the next slide. And it says, even when the lesson is hard, we hold on to him. And its, and it's uh, word today was exactly that. When we go through the battle, sometimes we just need to hold on to him. Sometimes we just need to hold on to him. There is an account in the Bible that, that shows in John 6, 25 to 70. You can see that's a good lot of reading that you have to do there this week. That shows that Jesus brought a word about him being the bread of life and them having to eat of him. And some people were so scared by this thought and this concept that they stopped following him, that they went back to their own places and their own towns. Sometimes, and then he speaks to the disciples, and the disciples say, even though that word is a little bit different, we will still hold on to you. So when that word is different, when that situation and that circumstance that you face is difficult, sometimes you just need to hold on to him. Hold on to him a little bit tighter and say, you're king, you're God. Quite a, quite a well-known verse is that we need to comprehend his authority. Matthew 8, 5 to 13 speaks about the centurion. And how he comprehended the authority of Jesus to heal from wherever. He didn't have to go to the centurion's house to heal. The centurion understood the authority of God. And that's also an important lesson for being part of that kingdom is saying, I understand your authority. I submit to that authority and I don't go running off on my own tangent and my own ways just to achieve things. But I'll listen to what you're doing. I'll see what you're saying. I'll be in your presence and part of your kingdom means that I'll listen to you and I'll go. And the last one, we press through the obstacles with faith to get to him. So the lady who was experiencing problems with blood, with bleeding, she pressed through obstacles. She pressed through to get to him, to be able to touch him. And she had faith that he would heal him. Her, sorry, heal her. And that's the reality of being part of the kingdom, is sometimes it doesn't come easy. Sometimes we have to press through. Sometimes we have to push through. Sometimes we have to make... Sometimes when the circumstances and the situations just don't feel right for us or don't match up to what we would want in this situation, we have to press through and try and grab hold of him. Reach out to our king and say, Lord, as part of your kingdom, I'm looking for this at the moment. I need you for this. I need your presence. I need to know that you are there for me. 
Sometimes we need to press through in faith. So as we come to an end of our series, I just want to read the end of Philippians 2. I gave you the, 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 the tidbit at the end, at the beginning. But at the end it says this, it says Philippians 2 verse 90 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but these four weeks have reminded me that I'm grateful that I have a king who knows me that I have a king who has come to show me the way who has taken a personal interest in who I am and has said come and feast at my table come and be part of my kingdom come so that I can be glorified my father can be glorified I'm grateful to be part of this kingdom I'm grateful to be part of a kingdom that has a God, that has a king who cares for me and loves me. So there's seven days, not seven weeks, seven days worth of reading for you to do. Um, going and going away from today. A challenge to, to read and to see what the crowds and how the crowds reacted. I could sit here um, for the next 45 minutes reading each account and telling you the detail of what I see. But I believe that the kingdom culture is something that God impresses on us each. He says, believe in me, believe in the Son, and you will be part of this kingdom. You are part of this kingdom. So I'm grateful for the king. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for this king.